0: Happy guy, then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie. Then he thought that he just couldn't die. So, then he
1: laughed. So, all Hello and welcome to episode 4-331 of the Run Run Live podcast. How is everybody doing? We made it to the end of January. And even though my wife insisted that we come home from Phoenix a day early to avoid the big east coast snowstorm, we got nothing here northwest of Boston. No snow at all. I think she was probably just sick of me. And who can blame her, really? I'm training away again. I'm healthy and I feel great. I sat down with my coach and we talked over the marathon and and now we have our sights set on turning in a good time at Boston. And Like I said last time, I think my training was too inconsistent for Phoenix and I also wasn't doing enough core and strength work. Coach had me do a leg workout last Monday and I could barely sit down for two days. I was definitely weak in the hips, glutes, quads. And even with all the miles I was getting in, I was still weak. Running is a funny sport. I'm also on a clean nutrition kick. I weighed in after the vacation about 189 and a half pounds, which is close to 10 pounds heavier than where I want to race at. So I'm eating mostly fruit and veg now. I've been doing it for about a week and I'm enacting a beer breakup as well. Uh, with uh, the amount of exercise I do, the weight comes off really fast. I lost like six pounds in three days and actually had to work some more calories in just so I wouldn't crash myself. I'm going to see if I can lean up over the next couple of months going into Boston. It's And it's not about going on a diet, air quotes, or calorie counting per se. Those are certainly tools you can use. For me, it's about eating clean so that my body can recover and I can be in the best shape possible in April. For today's show, I grabbed veteran blogger Ray Maker, DC Rainmaker, for a chat about the state of device technology. Ray started blogging device reviews back in 2007 or so when I started podcasting, and he has managed to turn his hobby into a full-time job at this point. And we talk about where we are, where we've been, and where we're going on the technology front. It's interesting. Makes you wonder what the heck we're going to be doing in 10 and 20 years. It's been a weird January for everybody. Last week, I got up early and packed my running stuff. Because I get up, crack it on, go to work. And since it's January, I throw in tights, gloves, sweater, hats, you know, winter running stuff. I get up from my desk to go running at lunch, and it's 50 degrees out. Jeez, so... Following that no excuses rule, you know, one day I ended up running in winter tights and a winter hat with a t-shirt on, and the next day I ended up running in short shorts and a running jacket with gloves. Uh, It doesn't really matter. You just have to get out there. But one lesson I apparently have to be taught over and over again is to not pack my bag when I get up in the morning. This invariably leads to some unfortunate clothing combinations, or lack thereof. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Eight different tips for treadmill running. The dreadmill. The deadmill love it or hate it, sometimes when it gets dark and cold and slippery out, we all end up on the treadmill. It's not uncommon for people to have personal treadmills in their houses, but usually we're going to a club or gym to use a public access treadmill. At the risk of writing an article that everyone else has already written, let me give you my tips on treadmill usage. It's timely and you can use what you like and discard the rest. If you Google this topic, you will find that it is covered extensively in the blogosphere. They will talk about how a treadmill is a safe, predictable, and convenient alternative to battling the elements. They will tell you to watch your form, dress properly, warm up well, and whatever you do, don't hold the handrails. I'm going to try to come at it from a slightly different angle. I've trained on different treadmills all over the world. And when I say trained, I mean speed work, tempo runs, long runs. Love them or hate them, the treadmill is just another tool to become proficient with. It's another one of those things that you have to approach with the beginner's mind and learn from it what you can first thing to understand is that it is perfectly okay and useful to do some workouts on the treadmill. There's nothing wrong or bad with running on the treadmill. Go ahead, run. It's okay. Much of the discomfort or reticence we have around treadmills is all in our heads. If you figure out some basic strategies, you can roll those treadmill workouts seamlessly into your training. The second important thing to remember is that the treadmill is different than running outside. Not bad, different. What's different? The motion of your running is slightly different on the treadmill than the motion of your running on the road. It's probably most similar to running on a track, a bit similar to running on the road, and not at all similar to running on a trail. When you first transition to the treadmill, you may find the running difficult or be sore in weird places because the motion is slightly different. So, tip one, be careful when you transition. Take it easy if you've never run on the treadmill before or you haven't run in a while. Back off a bit. Just because there's a snowstorm clogging the roads doesn't give you license to hurt yourself. Don't make a bad decision with your enthusiasm. Tip number two, focus on form. One of the things the treadmill is really good for is working on your form. You can slow it down and really concentrate on how your feet are hitting the deck and how your posture is. In many gyms, they'll have a mirror and you can watch your form. You can also video your form on the treadmill and share that with your coach. One of the tricks I use to practice form is to run in my socks and slow it way down. This way I can get the proprioception of my feet hitting and grabbing the deck. And the treadmill deck is much more forgiving than the road, so it's a safe place to do this. Another thing you can do is practice different cadence with your form. So you have a clock right in front of you. You simply count the foot strikes for 15 or 30 seconds and you can get an exact answer on what your cadence is. Tip number three. You don't have to watch Fox News. One of the things I hate in my life is that there are TV monitors hung everywhere I go, blaring some stupid crap I don't want to watch. One option people don't realize is that you can switch them off. Seriously. I will ask anyone there, are you watching this? And typically they'll say, no. If you reach behind the TV, there's a power button. You can press to turn the whole works off. People will be shocked at your chutzpah, but it's simple. The next people who come in won't think to switch it on either. They'll just assume it's broken. By the way, you can usually do the same thing with the lights. Gyms, by and large, have horrible fluorescent or incandescent lighting systems, and sometimes you can switch a bank of lights off, and it won't harsh your mellow as much while you're running. Tip number four, Treadmills are all different in the way they are programmed, and we typically don't get the user manual, but they're usually programmable to some extent, and this makes them great for doing set workouts like intervals. Typically, one of the menu options is custom workout or custom intervals. If you can figure out how to use this, you can have it change paces automatically to pull you through the workout, or at least be able to press one button to switch from run speed to jog speed. Tip number five, figure out your speed and pace conversion before you start running. Before you get on, start the thing up and speed it up to the various paces you intend to use so you know what the display is going to look like and what the miles per hour or kilometers per hour conversions are for your paces. This will save you from having to figure out what a seven minute mile is in the middle of a workout. Tip number six, Do a crushing, long hill workout. Treadmills typically can't mimic downhill, but they do a great job of mimicking uphill. When I was training for the Mount Washington Road Race, I did a workout where I set the elevation as high as it would go and then varied the pace to try to keep up. Sure, the paces I was quote-unquote running were embarrassingly slow, but my legs thanked me for it when I got out on the hills. There are few places in real life where you can find a 30 to 40 minute continuous uphill, but the treadmill does it no problem. Tip number seven, you don't want to fight other people for the treadmills in the gym. The best times to go are super early in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and late at night right before they close. These are the off-peak hours. And you can focus on your workouts without having to deal with some yahoo watching the real housewives at full volume. You can make a deal with your boss to take an early lunch or a late lunch, and it will save everybody time in the long run. Tip number eight, every treadmill is different. Run by effort if something feels off and you can't maintain your pace. After a while, most runners will find the treadmill running is easier than outdoors running effort-wise. Most runners will default the elevation to 1.0 to make it equivalent, but when you first transition, or if you're in a strange place, you may find that the paces on the display don't correspond at all to what you're feeling effort-wise. If it feels weird, the treadmill could be broken or poorly calibrated. Sometimes the gyms will scrimp on the maintenance, and the poor machine will be within an inch of its life. If it doesn't make sense, just throw a towel over the display and run by feel. That's it. Don't fret over the treadmill. It's just another tool like a pair of shoes. It's not going to make you or break you. Figure out how to take your emotions out of the relationship and use it for the things it is good for. The treadmill can be a useful part of your training. And now for today's featured interview. Give me the uh, the two hundred words or less on who you are and what you do.
0: So I'm Raymaker of DCRaymaker.com, and what I do is I write sports technology reviews, and I also kind of talk about just sports technology in general, so anything from action cameras to GPS watches, that whole sort of sports and health wellness realm, activity trackers and whatnot. Um, But I think part of the appeal of the blog is also that it's more than just technology. So it's also a bit of my life. It started off like most blogs do about, you know, what I trained or did that weekend or ate that weekend and kind of just my life in general. So it's become this thing that's more than just a bunch of technology ruse, but sort of just about me as as a person.
1: Yeah and you you've been doing this for a long time. I remember you being interviewed by uh by Ray and uh Jason Keel way back when like probably 6 years
0: ago. Yeah, it's been a while. I was trying to think. I think it might be this uh, a year from now, so I think right now I'm either eight or nine years been doing this. Um, so. Yeah. Coming up on, you know, ten years here soon, which seems, seems absolutely crazy to me. But, you know, like anything else, it starts off small, right? And I think, I don't think there's any comments in my first few posts at all. Um, and then you get like one comment and, and you're really excited. Um, and, and kind of the days when you were watching like the web stat counter and you're like, ah, I got 18 people that visited my page today. And then you realize yeah, like yeah. 12 of those were yourself. Um, and so yeah, or, or, or spam bots. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, it just takes time and eventually gets gets somewhere else.
1: You and I can swap notes because we've been doing it the same amount of time. We probably met on Twitter, you know, eight years ago. Yep. I think it's the authenticity. Right. So you're doing it whether anybody looks at it or not. Right. You're pushing out the content, whether anybody cares or not. is just sort of beside the point. Right. Exactly. And that gives you that that sort of authenticity that people like, but also gives you that longevity because there's no downside.
0: Exactly. I just, I pretty much talk about whatever I want. Um, and so that may not appeal to everyone, but that's fine. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk about my weekend and things that were interesting to me. And it may have absolutely nothing to do with sports or technology. It could be just eating and, uh, you know, random things in, in Paris or wherever I am that weekend. Um, and then I'm going to dive and talk about something super deep into power meters recycling or, uh, you know, anything. It could be just whatever is interesting to me. And, um, I think that's what people enjoy that it's kind of a, this mishmash of things and that you know i'm i'm happy to go deep on a given subject but also happy to just kind of chat about random things that go along
1: so this niche that you've um that you found yourself in with the devices right the the sports devices is actually a great niche there's a whole sort of i don't know um there's a bunch of people who do this on youtube and blogs and right this is sort of a a known thing now, but probably when you started it, you were just you know starting it for the for your own satisfaction, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. For me, it was just you know I originally started actually a bunch of small pile of coworkers um, that had kind of been curious on some of the different running devices. So I ran out, ran with the device, and I wrote a big long email up that was. About as close as a review as you can get. Kind of my thoughts on it, and you know, nothing super fancy. It was just, it was literally like five people. And then one day, I decided to just copy and paste that as it was from this email into a, a web post, and that became my first GPS watch review um, on a, uh, a Garmin 305. It was a really popular one um, that I did at the time, and that kind of sprouted everything from there. Uh, so it was just you know, that that was my starting point. Now, of course, lots of the mainstream tech blogs get into different GPS watches and activity trackers and things like that. Um, and but I think I'm I go a bit further than what they do in terms of how I test things and validate them. And um you know a lot of times from a major tech blog, you know, for a GPS running watch, they're gonna simply say, Oh, I, I ran with it and and that's it, right? And not, they're not going to talk about what is accurate, was it the heart rate accurate, and that sort of thing. And I've got a, a Microsoft Band 2 in-depth review coming out later on today. And, you know, you look at some of the mainstream blogs, and they're going to talk about things like, well, we didn't have a chance to run with it, but I'm sure it's accurate, is what they would say. And, you know, here I'm, I'm going in and diving into the heart rate or into the GPS and saying, how does this compare to other products in the market, both, you know, equal in price or above in price, below in price, things like that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because if you look at just a, a data sheet on any of these devices, you know, they'll have a column says, you know, does it track heart rate? Check. Does it have GPS? Check. But within those attributes, there's a broad spectrum of accuracy and technology.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it makes a big difference, I think you know it's really easy to kind of press the easy button so to speak and say oh, i'm sure it'll be accurate if it has gps or has heart rate um but like in the case of the the microsoft band band i found that that's far from the case and, and gps on this unit is great it's it's actually probably one of the best i've tested in a while but on the heart rate side it can be off by 20 25 beats per minute which is a a huge huge amount um and you know it's easy to see on a graph you're like wow that's that's nowhere near what the rest of the heart rate sensors are doing um and it's it can be tough i think to explain to a crowd that may not like you know for my usual crowd of people that read the site they will look at that and go wow 25 beats per minute that's that's massive difference um but if you're not into endurance sports you may be like ah oh, is that is that a big deal but that, right. it, it is a big deal it's a you know it's yeah. the difference between being dying out of breath you know bent over on the side of the road and you know having a nice kind of tempo run
1: well yeah and in your training if you're doing heart rate training you know uh uh, three beats per minute will put you between zones and you'll either get um the benefit of that training or you won't right so so it's super important that you know what your heart rate is which you know the massive crowd that you're talking about won't or why it's important so there's a bunch of knowledge behind that as well that makes it important i found the same thing so i i've been wearing a fitbit and I didn't really buy it for the like the step tracking and all that crap. I bought it sort of for the look and feel and the mm-hmm. and the silent alarm and just some of the sort of the lifestyle stuff. Yep. But I've worn it on some of my runs and it's terrible as a running device, right? Yeah. It's just it's terrible, and and it's funny because I'll go into a, you know I'll go into a copy shop and and the you know the waitress will be wearing a Fitbit. And I'll go oh see so you got a Fitbit. How many steps today? And they'll sort of smile and say, you know, 25,000. And meanwhile, I just went out and beat out a five mile tempo run and I've only got 7,000, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, we're not measuring the same thing.
0: No, it's in, in, that The steps are, they're, they're a funny nugget. I think, you know, folks really want them to be absolutely precise, like dead on exactly the same for every single device. And that's just not, that's not going to happen. That's partly because individuals at companies believe they're all smarter than another individual at another company, right? It's totally natural. It's, um, you know, you're, you're going to be an expert in something and you're going to believe that you're better off than someone else. And, and for the most part, people come to the same conclusions, but ultimately, you know, Fitbit is going to decide that one action that you do during the day is going to get get steps, whereas Microsoft decide that's not and Apple decide something different and Garmin decides something different. And it's not usually steps that we're talking about, but it's things like washing the dishes, taking a shower, how much of a vibration in the car Counts as a step versus a false positive. Right. And, you know, every right. company has to decide differently where to approach those. And some are better than others. You know, I think if you look at the major brands like Fitbit and others, they tend to be very close. But even then, they're still outliers. So I'll get folks that swing by the blog that are like, I worked up 3,000 steps in my drive to work today. And you're like, what were you yeah. doing in the car? Yeah. But it's not that they're doing anything wrong. It's just that somehow for that individual person in that individual car, it's triggering whatever edge cases on that Fitbit device or whatever it may be. Um, and it's, it's yeah, tricky. It's all, yeah,
1: because it's all software at the end of the day. It's algorithms, right? And in, yep. in, in the algorithm, it has to make a choice. I got this this input.
0: What do I do with it? Exactly. Right? And I think that's yeah. where, you know, you look at like steps, for example. That's an area that you should be, Looking at more of your trends, right? If you're if you're getting to the end of the day and you're concerned that you are 9,700 out of 10,000 steps for the day, then go walk around the block, right? And and knock it out and, and be done with it. At the same time, if you got to the end of the day and you're at like 1,500 steps out of 10,000, then that's probably telling you something. That's probably telling you that you didn't walk a lot and you didn't do a lot that day. And so I think it's better to focus on those trends right now with activity trackers um, more than you know being five or ten steps off.
1: Right. And my point was, is those devices are designed, um, all devices are designed for a specific audience, right? And they're tuned for that audience. So obviously a Fitbit isn't designed for my, you know, it's designed maybe for my lifestyle, but not for my, my endurance sports, right? Yep. But it is very well tuned for the audience it's intended for. Yep, exactly. Right. The casual sort of walk around, you know, walk at lunch crowd, it's very well tuned for that. And you can see that in the way the algorithms respond.
0: Exactly. And they've, they've done a good job there. And I think, you know, they, they sold, uh, something like 12 million plus devices last year, which is a really impressive amount, Um, especially in the, kind of in the face of the Apple Watch, which everyone predicted would, would kill the Fitbit. Um, and yeah. it's done anything but that. It's, it's actually made one of the strongest years ever. So, you know, I think people are looking for that device that isn't going to cost three and four hundred bucks, but it's going to tell them steps and, and steps can be useful to both, athletes as well as the general public I think you know the general public is looking to lose weight and steps is a very good motivator of that in terms of it's not gonna have a direct correlation to weight but if you walk a lot more then you're likely being more active um, and then it's also great for the endurance athlete too because it helps you focus on recovery mm-hmm. so I think that's an area that's often overlooked you know especially like if you go into let's say you're the Boston Marathon or something else and those days ahead of time especially Boston have you run Boston before couple times. Okay. So you, you know that it's easy and a couple days beforehand to go into the expo, and before you know it, you've walked like nine miles on the expo. Um, <laughs> and, and you're like, well, maybe that wasn't such a good idea the day before a race. And that's where I think, it, as an endurance athlete, um, it's a good idea to, to kind of look at a step counter in a different light.
1: See, they need to have those uh, little electric carts like they do at Walmart. So all the so I people can just ride around the expo.
0: It should be like a like those um, rides were actually on a rail, right? So almost like a uh, what do you call it? like a, um, a fair or something like that, where you just go it goes booth to booth, and you can you can pause your little car and get out and yeah, perfect.
1: it's like the the tunnel of love ride exactly. The expo.
0: Yep. There we yeah. go.
1: <laughs> and then everybody, I always tell people that too. When you come to Boston, it's such a and New York as well, right? Sure. Any of those big city races, it just there's a ton of walking involved. And uh, you leave your race at the expo. <laughs> so
0: You really do. It's so easy to do. And I think, you know, it's actually kind of one of the neat things about a lot of, like, Ironman races, for example, and that they aren't typically held in the city. They're held out in the middle of nowhere in most cases. Um, so it's actually kind of easy to be able to theoretically go, you know, drive to the, the expo grounds and something no bigger than a, a half a football field, for example, and to walk around with a handful of vendors there and go home. But it's, it's still that, like, Mental conditioning of not doing something the day before a big race—that's I think toughest for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, and you're a triathlete as well, which is great for the niche that you're in for blogging because everybody knows triathletes are very technology focused
0: and they just you know buy the latest gadget. Is they buy that's everything? What they're all about right. Yep. No, yeah. absolutely. It's, there's a, the joke has always been that a triathlete will buy anything, which is. It's probably true. Yeah. You, um, <laughs> yeah
1: the, the same thing that you can sell to a marathoner for 100 bucks, you can sell to a triathlete for 1000 bucks.
0: Exactly. But I'm a triathlete, so I can make, my, make fun of myself that way, um, especially me, I suppose, of all people. Um, but I guess we also have three sports to deal with, right? You've got swimming and biking and running. And even within those, you've got basically two iterations of each one. You've got indoor and outdoor for everything, right? Um, so you're talking like six potential sports that you have to buy year for. Um, or at least that's right. how I, I would justify it.
1: Right, and the and the devices have to be able to figure out when you're doing the transitions, when you're in one sport, when you're in the other sport. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's 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 tough. Yeah.
0: Yep. And you, you see and a lot of watches.
1: and it's super. And and the data is actually super important. If you're out for an eight-hour event, you have to stay in the the correct zone, so you'll never you'll never
0: make it. It's true and I think if you look at where sports technology is most valuable, it tends to be in those longer endurance events, right You know from half marathon upwards in time, where pacing is so important. Um, and I think and I'm sure as you know anyone who's training for their first half iron or ironman or maybe an Ironman half marathon or marathon knows that, you know, it's those first few miles of that race that will decide your entire day. It's how yeah. fast you go out at the start. How, you know, are you, you're feeling excited for your first half iron or, or first marathon or anything that's long distance. and You're going to go too hard. And that's where having some device sit there and go, I know you feel great right now, but you need to <laughs> just, just chill out and, and slow down a bit. It makes a big difference.
1: You know, when I started, uh, started running, Uh, We didn't have any devices. Right. I mean, we had basically you had a you had a watch, you know, if you're lucky, you had a digital watch. So you could hit start and you could know what the times were. But, you know, there wasn't really any heart rate functionality or GPS functionality. And because of that, we were forced to sort of learn what paces felt like and what distances felt like. Um, So so we could almost eyeball courses and eyeball effort levels. And do you think people lose any of that today where where the device is just telling them everything? They don't have to actually internalize it, or does it help?
0: I think it goes both ways. I I started running in that same sort of realm. I didn't have a GPS watch. I had a simple little stopwatch. And, you know, you go online and try to figure out your distance, or you drive down the street right in your car and kind of figure out, okay, this is a mile, this is the next mile, and so on. Um, And then you'd... You'd go ahead and work from there on a, a simple like, you know, notepad style logbook, but you start to understand those distances and those paces, especially, um, and then intensities. And I think that's where, um, it's always been challenging for folks is, you know, you look at like a, a workout guidebook that you may pick up somewhere that says, here's how to, how to train by something without, Without a heart rate monitor and what's, what's considered an intense workout, right? What's run hard versus very hard versus just, you know, very, very hard. Um, and that's where it's been really tough in the past that people can't put a number on that and, and what, you know, you running very, very hard is different than me running very, very hard. Um, and so how do you, How do you make that, make sense of that? So that's where sports technology has been great because it helps people say, you know, what you're doing right now is very, very hard, right? Versus this is an easy run and having a very clear delineation. Where it gets challenging is when a device breaks on someone on race day. And that's where I think you see a lot of times where people just, just simply freak out. They just go, ah, I don't know what to do. How am I going to, how am I going to do anything right now? And, you know, how do you, I think people sometimes forget to, think about those intensities and think about those paces when they're training and think to yourself, this is what this feels like. So, you know, if you're out for a long run and you're supposed to be like on a Z2 heart rate or something like that, the next time you're out on that run, just turn your watch on the inside of your wrist or something like that so you're not looking at it and just run for a few miles. And, you know, in a few miles, see if you're doing the same intensity that you were doing a couple miles ago um, and kind of just pay attention to those things, so that if that happens in a race, and it's happened to me in a race where a device has died, that you can you can make sense of it. I had it happen in my second Ironman race, where one of my my GPS units died halfway through the bike, and so it's you, know, you got to be able to, to roll with that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, and the more you train, the more you just sort of internalize all that stuff, right? So, yep. But yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. So, given that you know, progressing, you've been doing this for eight or nine years, and in just that time span. The technology has leapt forward. I mean, I see it in the industrial world. It's Moore's Law. Everything's getting smaller and faster exponentially. You know, what's the – we just had the technology show and wearables, you know, everybody can quote-unquote – I'm doing the air quote thing – wearables are a big thing in consumer electronics right now. What are some of the cool things that are coming over the horizon right now, Ray?
0: I think uh, kind of improvements in the optical heart rate is probably the biggest thing right now. So gathering more data, gathering more sensor data, that's probably, and getting smaller devices. So we look at, obviously you know a GPS running device has gone from something the size of a Twinkie just 10 years ago um, on your wrist down to something that's just, it's tiny, right? It's barely more than like a, a stick of gum and kind of double the width sort of thing, or a tiny little band that you're wearing around your wrist is now GPS and heart rate and all these sort of metrics. But I think it's increasing that accuracy, those metrics. Um, so we've kind of seen this really interesting trend where over the last, I'd say like two to three years, companies have made things smaller and made things lighter, but haven't actually made them more accurate. So we're seeing you know companies that may struggle a bit more with GPS accuracy as they try to save battery and things like that to get more life out of the device. So I, I suspect we're going to start to see this swing the other way where we now see focusing on accuracy is that becomes a delineator uh, between products. And they say, you know, like we talked about earlier, is this product truly accurate or not? Um, And so the biggest area that we're seeing that focus on right now is optical heart rate accuracy, um, where, People want to get away from chest straps for a whole bunch of different reasons. And that's an area where it's, it's easy to explain heart rate to people. And it's easy to train by one when it's on your wrist. You don't have to deal with a heart rate strap, especially women, um, where heart rate straps can, can be awkward in a lot of different ways. That's an area that I think we'll continue to see a lot of focus on. But then there's all these new metrics that companies want to track, like, um, skin temperature and skin perspiration and things like that, that, we don't really know what to do with them yet in a running sense, but I think we'll we'll get there over time.
1: So it's almost. Have you looked at any of the you know the flexible circuitry that they're weaving into smart yep. fabrics now? Have, exactly. Has anybody sent you any of that stuff?
0: Yeah, I've played with it a little bit. What we see right now in that whole e-textile space is that a lot. It's a lot of kind of replicating what you already have. If that makes sense. So it's looking at uh, heart rate sensors, for example, and, and putting it into the fabric of something or looking at accelerometer data and putting it into the fabric or somehow tying it into a piece of clothing. But we're not seeing a ton of new stuff yet. Um, there's a lot of companies that are trying to get into that space, like, you know, talking about perspiration and other metrics on that area, but they're not quite shipping it. And I think we'll see those timelines be longer than they anticipate. Um, you know, companies are promising stuff later this year, but I don't think we'll see that hit the consumer audience till sometime next year. For most of those newer technologies, heart rate that's already here today, and you know sports bras and all sorts of different things like that. But getting beyond heart rate is trickier.
1: Yeah, because I would think that again, if you wanted to be successful, you'd probably take the Fitbit route, where you you know target that broader audience, yep. the broader fitness audience, not the endurance athlete. Because if I'm looking at something I have to wear, you know, I'd have to wear that every day, right? So it would have to be something like an armband.
0: Or, uh, you know, like like the old Dickies,
1: you know, people used to wear, right?
0: Yeah, we saw it. It's interesting, actually. Um, Victoria's Secret got into the market about a year and a half ago or so, um, and they did a sports bra that had a connector for a heart rate pod on the front of it. Um, They've actually since seemingly exited the market, which is sort of strange, but I wonder if in that case it's simply a, a scenario where adding that extra pod made it more complex for people than they wanted to, right? Versus having a Bluetooth chip somehow built straight into um, the sports bra itself and that would allow you to, you know, connect devices to it. Um, It's almost like it wasn't quite ready there, but it was, it was interesting to see such a mainstream company pick that up.
1: Yeah. So when you tested that one, did you find it was accurate?
0: <laughs> that was not when I tested, unfortunately, um, or no. fortunately. But uh, that in that case, it's really from what I've seen of testing some other, like I, I tested a compression shirt that was um, had a heart rate sensor in there. And I found that it was actually fairly accurate. And I think that's because ECG-type heart rate is something that's well understood in the industry. We've been doing it for, you know, 20 plus, 30 years now at this point. Getting those sort of strands and that kind of piece is is easy. It really comes down to the pod portion that you snap into there um, and making sure that it doesn't get tricked by things like cadence or, you know, other factors outside of that.
1: So I'm wondering if they aren't thinking about going full Borg on us and having some sort of implant for all this stuff, right? Because that would be the shortest path to uh, the telemetrics and the and the body stuff, and then you could remotely. Sense people,
0: you know. Yep. So they've done some of that stuff, not necessarily implant where they put it in the skin, but digestible pills and things like that. So there was a study about a year, maybe two years ago now, that did it in a couple marathons down, I want to say New Zealand, Australia-ish area, um, where they're basically monitoring the body temperatures of runners. Um, I know they did one in Singapore as well, and they were doing that remotely uh, with these little sensor pods. And so the idea being that on hot marathon days, um, where the you know risk is much higher for Heat-related issues uh, to be able to monitor people and say, ah, oh, this this particular runner is dangerously whatever, um, and we should maybe uh, check in on that person, which would be cool. I hmm. think that's a, that's an interesting use of that technology. Um, in this case, it was, a, it was a very small study, and obviously, it's it's kind of tricky to ask people to go and like swallow a pill at the start of the race. But yeah. I think that sort of concept, and whether that's delivered via pill or delivered, you know, via patch. There was a company last year, at CES, that announced basically the sticker that you put on, almost like a tobacco patch or something, and that would go ahead and it would broadcast those exact same sort of metrics. They had released a, a crowdfunded campaign on Indiegogo, and in fact, just a few months ago, they decided to refund all the backers because they're going to go into the medical field instead of the running world, um, which is too bad. Right, so I actually cause- tried it out and it worked really well.
1: Yeah, I could see that being, like I said, a telemetrics thing where you're beaming that information to a control center somewhere, right? Yep. And you could almost do that 24 7. If you had that 24 7, then you could write algorithms around. Hey, you're getting sick. Hey, you need to get more sleep. You know what I'm saying?
0: Well, and that's what's funny. So that they did, they gave it to me at CES last year for a couple of days to play with. Um, and they'd had me load the app on there. And what was interesting is, yes, I recorded my runs on there, but then they showed me behind the scenes, they said, actually, we were gathering data 24 seven from this sensor. So they were showing my heart rate data and everything else in real time. And it was, really cool, and they had this a screen up in CES, and they were able to kind of display my data live in real time from my phone as long as my phone is connected. But that gets into a ton of cool areas beyond just sport and fitness, um, but also into the medical realm as well, where today those solutions are are much more complex and much heavier, if you will, from an infrastructure standpoint than just having a phone and a patch on your skin.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we look at the challenges around obesity and everything in the United States and, and Western Europe, Just the, just the health challenges in general. If we could get some of that, replace some of the emotion with fact, that might help, help us turn the corner on, on some of this stuff.
0: Yep. No, I completely agree. And I think it's that's where making it easier to get access to these devices is important as well. Um, and it's part of the reason I think Fitbit succeeded so much is that, you know, it used to be that if you wanted a pedometer, you had something you found in either a cereal box or something crazy that you went out, you know, and paid a lot of money for. Uh, and nowadays it's accessible. It's easy to use. Everyone, virtually everyone has a smartphone of some sort that connect to it. Um, and it just makes the entire experience simple and then that carries over into weight loss and other areas
1: yeah exactly make it simple so that's a good um that's good learning for anybody launching a product make it user friendly and simple you don't care what it does so um so ray i'm sure the the question you get asked the most um is very similar to the the shoe question as i move you towards the exit here um what's you know what's the best
0: device I think it depends a little bit on what you're looking for. Um, I think there's no perfect answer. If you were an ultra-marathoner, you know, or an ultra-runner in general, then I would say you're looking at a device that's going to go a longer battery life, so something like the Phoenix 3 or the Ambit 3 Series. Um, those are kind of at that end. On the flip side, if you're just getting into running, then you might want to look at some of the more budget devices in that 100 to $130 range, like the Forerunner 25, for example, or the Polar M400. That's just a little bit above that. I think we're on 150 right now. Um, and then if in that middle ground of a triathlete, then uh, I think right now the best devices out there for the triathlete anyways are the Phoenix 3 uh, from Garmin, the 40920 XT from Garmin, and then the uh, Suunto Ambit 3 from, well, Suunto. But, you know, there's there's lots of options out there for for runners. I, I've got a whole post that's dedicated to choosing uh, basically which uh, devices you want based on what, you're, what features you're looking for. Do you want optical heart rate? Do you not want optical heart rate? Um, and I think that's, that's probably the best way to approach how to choose a device is to figure out what you want out of that device and then pick something in the right category.
1: I think there's some form considerations as well, right? Because I still yeah. run with the 305 because it's got buttons, physical buttons. Sure. And I need, I need physical buttons.
0: <laughs> yep, absolutely. And I think, you know, you see that in a lot of the, the multi-sport watches where people will ask, well, why doesn't the, the 920 XT, the Phoenix 3 have a touchscreen display? Um, and the answer is kind of simple. You really don't want a touchscreen display when you're when you're in the water or you're doing things that are have a lot of water around them. Um, it just doesn't tend to work out that well long term. And so that's where, you know, having those buttons in a lot of cases works out really well.
1: So have you managed to make a, uh, a full-time job out of this or is this still a hobby for you, Ray?
0: I have, yeah. I switched back in October. Um, so I, after I left kind of work after 12 years at the same, same company there and then, uh, became doing this full-time. So it's been a, been a fun transition. Uh, and you know, now I'm able to, to play with devices all day long and still have to write. Like there's still the reality of I'm sitting here all day today in front of a keyboard writing stuff. But, you know, tomorrow I'm hoping to go out into the countryside and get a play with, action camera drones that follow me around and stuff like that. So I, I really can't complain.
1: So this is cool. This is a great little, uh, lifestyle design success story in our world.
0: Indeed. It's been a, it's been a fun trip.
1: All right. Well, I'll let you go now. Congratulations on the continuing evolution of your, uh, of your adventure here
0: i appreciate it thank you very much and uh yeah you know folks can definitely visit our site they want more and also got a podcast as well that's just focused purely on sports technology so if you want to like overwhelmed in sports technology then definitely give a listen as well
1: all right man we'll see you
0: cheers thanks a lot you have a good one and uh, enjoy your trip today all right cheers bye
1: sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know Don't be afraid to ask questions, especially if you are afraid of the answers. Jim Rohn said, What you get in life will never make you happy. What you become in life will make you very happy or very sad. People in general don't like uncertainty. We dislike uncertainty so much that we would rather make up stories that are a false reality than ask the questions that will lead us to truth or hard work. Most of us would rather pretend and avoid than confront. You are afraid of what you will find when you lift up the rug or look under the couch of your life, so you don't. Especially if you expect the answers you will find will be different than what you want. You'd rather live in the certainty of not knowing than the certainty of the truth. I've been working my way through Tony Robbins' book, Money Master the Game, and it's a hard read. I probably bought the book over a year ago, and I'm currently around page 250 with another 300 to go, and I'll bet that I'm one of the few people in the world who actually hung in that far. Like most of Tony's work, it has as much to do with self-assessment and self-improvement as it does with money. It just so happens that money is one of those areas that people like to avoid. I was working through a chapter where he talks about plugging in your current numbers and comparing the results versus your future goals. 250 pages in, this is supposed to be the aha moment. This is where you see here's where you are versus here's where you want to go. The answer for some people will be, oh, this is awesome. I'm in much better shape than I thought I was. The answer for many others will be, oh crap, I'm screwed. For those who get a rude surprise, they may be depressed, angry, or they may get inspired. The important point is that your situation didn't change, but your understanding of it did. The only difference is that before they went through the exercise, they just didn't know. It's not about money. It's about being aware It's about giving yourself a choice. It's really about freedom. Do you avoid asking the hard questions in your life? Maybe you don't go to the doctor because you're afraid of what he or she will tell you. Maybe you don't ask an important question in a relationship because you're afraid of the answer. You don't ask the questions at work because you're afraid of the answers. What is that fear? Fear of finding out the truth, fear of worry when you do, fear of having to face up to reality and do some sort of hard work. You would rather live out of control in this little made up bubble of certainty that is a total illusion. When you ask the question, what are you going to find out? It's not as bad as you feared, or it's worse than you imagined. Either way, you cure yourself of a self denial fantasy. Now you can take action. Now you can ask even better questions about how am I going to start moving in a better direction. And the glorious part is that these new questions are based in fact, not hope, not wishes, and not fear. Instead of the comfort of being able to ignore the facts and complain, you can make a decision and take action now. You can take control, you can architect, plan, and decide what to do next. And it's never too late, even if the answer you get is far worse than you imagined. To draw from the money metaphor again, you can use the power of compounding. In finance, this means having your money grow over time, exponentially, using the power of compounding interest. In your life, it means small micro actions that you take today can have an outsized effect on your life years into the future. Compounding is a life concept. The key is to take small, consistent actions over time. At first, you will see no movement. But as the impact of those small, consistent actions compounds, you will see exponential changes in your life. What's a practical example? What do most people care about this time of year? Losing weight? Getting in shape? Writing that book? reading more, spending more time with your family. What is one small, consistent action you can take today, tomorrow, next week, that will move you in the direction you want to go? What if you were to eat, I don't know, 10 fewer calories of processed crap every day? What if you were to add one whole fruit or raw vegetable into your day? What if you were to do one push-up today or one mile and then increase it every week? What if you were to write for 20 minutes non-interrupted every day? What could you accomplish? What if you were to read two pages or 20 minutes every day? What would you get done? There is no project so onerous or so distasteful that you can't find one little chunk of it to work on. Do you know the facts, the truth, the data around your important life gardens that you are tending? Are you afraid to ask those questions because you're afraid of the answers? That's living an out-of-control life. Find out where you stand, compare that to where you want to be, and start by asking better questions and taking small actions in the right direction. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Okay, my friends, hit the stop button on your smartwatch. We have arrived all sweaty, heart-pounding and breathing hard at the end of episode 4-331 of the Run Run Live podcast. Like I said, I'm training well and trying to live well. Hope you're well as well. (laughs) Well, well. Uh, Hear the one about the three holes in the ground? Well, well, well. If anyone has a particularly interesting piece of writing, around 1,500 words that they'd like to submit for me to read into one of the show sections, I'm willing if you are. After seven and a half years of this, I sometimes feel like I'm tapping a dry well. <laughs> I was poking around this week in the Run Run Live 1.0 archives looking for something. I listened to some of the single-digit episodes, and it's cringeworthy. The audio is terrible. It's, But it's all out there. If you want to listen to it, it's all out there on my website, runrunlive.com, Three hundred and thirty plus episodes. Feel free to download them all and let me know if you find any broken links. I'll try to fix them. Next episode, we're going to talk with Kim Jones. Kim Jones, famous person who was one of the best female marathoners in the world in the 80s and 90s. Uh, if anybody has any other people they'd like me to interview, let me know and I'll sit my producer on them. That's that's me. I'm the producer. Thank you for all the folks who have contributed to my Team Hoyt Fund for Boston. For the thousands of you who haven't, hey, come on. It's a great cause. It's what's right about our sport. Your virtual friends in our virtual running community, they have been throwing me $10, 20 $50. Bucks. You can do it too. Think of it as positive karma, a positive karma investment. The Groton Road Race is April 24th. Come up and join me for my last hurrah, my last stint as race director. And our 25th anniversary, I'm cooking up some cool commemorative tchotchkes for you. Come on up and join us. This past week, I got invited to present at an event in the city called Ignite Boston. And I guess this is one of those Lyceum-like... TED talky sort of, I don't know what, but one of my personal guidelines is to accept all invitations to present. You know how much value that I think there is in presentation skills in general, and I believe it is something we should all cultivate, and stage time is one of the best ways to practice it. The format for this presentation or these presentations in general is 20 slides with a 15-second auto-advance per slide. So it's a bang, bang, bang presentation flow, five-minute presentation, and I was intrigued. So the topic was loosely data, and I looked at the presenters, and they were all techies, you know, data people, and I looked at the agenda, and I was the last of seven presenters in a row, and this means it was me, between them and the complimentary drinks. So I thought to myself, well, I'm screwed. (laughs) First, I'm not a super deep techie tech guy like that. Uh, second, I don't know that much practical stuff about data in general. I mean, sure, I could manufacture some overview of industry data uses, but in the position of last presenter, there's nothing I could do to just not be forgettable. So the game was rigged to focus on my not-strengths and not-my-strengths. How could I flip the tables on this? What do I bring that these other folks didn't? What talents do I have that they don't? Well, I know how to communicate, and I know how to present, and I know all about marathons. So I decided to use the uh, Kobayashi Maru subterfuge and change the game in my favor, and I created an entertaining presentation around marathon data. Of course... As I'm sitting there, I'm watching these other presenters with their flowcharts and SQL code snippets, and I'm wondering if I am making a really bad decision here. And I start to get nervous that this audience will be slack-jawed and confused by me being off-topic. And then I smile and remember one of the rules of presenting, which is you have to go all-in. You have to commit to your topic and your speech. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. You have to sell it. You have to live it. Because if you go all in, the audience will go with you. They won't get a choice. They will get sucked into your gravity well. I rocked it. They loved it. I had a blast. Commit. Go all in. Sell it. And I'll see you out there. And then he thought... That he just couldn't die.
0: So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry.
1: I sat... There comes that dog. Hey, dog. Stop walking around the house. I'm trying to record. Lay down. Go lay down someplace.